Good morning, one tribe. Yo, if you were at the wedding yesterday and you're daring whisper, I need that same energy that you had yesterday to come to church this morning. So good morning, guys. That's better. We had so much fun yesterday at Joe and Nyla's wedding. And please, do not be fooled by these so-called calm, collected-looking people. They showed their true colors yesterday. They danced and celebrated, and we had a wonderful time. If you're coming here for the first time this morning, um, allow me to extend another warm welcome. Karibu sana to one tribe. Um, you've caught us towards the end, actually on the last uh, sermon of the viral series that we have been going through. And as Eric has reminded us today, this is actually a really special Sunday because it marks probably what is the last time that we are going to be having one service, probably in the history of one tribe. And so we might never be like this ever again. So this is actually a special moment. Uh, for some, it's bittersweet because some things are going to change, right? There are faces that will be coming at 9, others at 10, so there's a chance that there's people you're used to seeing that you may not quite see as much. There's things that are bound to change. But it is indeed a special time and one that um, we celebrate because this is a sign that we are growing as a church and God is working in our midst. And so during this series, we've been seeing how the message of Jesus can spread and what kind of church we need to be or what kind of church it would take to see this message spreading in a viral way. And we have seen that we need to be a multiplying church, a church that is just not comfortable with, you know, creating a safe space where we just keep it small and cozy and tidy, but that actually we need to be growing and multiplying so that this message of Jesus can continue to grow and spread. We also saw that we need to be a risk-taking church. Like Peter, when he stepped out on that boat and asked Jesus to, you know, call him to come, we need to be that kind of church that looks at the things that God is calling us to and we say yes to the unknown, we say yes to the risky, and we take that step of faith. We also saw that this message, this message of Jesus is like a mustard seed that can sometimes appear insignificant, but actually this message has the power to grow into a mighty oak. Last week, we saw how we are called to be a serving church, sacrificially loving and serving others. And so this week, as we close this series and look forward to getting into our two services next Sunday, we are going to see how we are called to be an enduring church and that it's actually possible to be the kind of people and church that God... It's impossible for us to be the kind of church and people that God calls us to be without endurance. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this end of uh, one service season that we've come to as a church and we thank you for the new season that you're ushering us into a season where we get to um, just enjoy more of you and create space for more people to come and meet with you and we pray that as we look at how we can be an enduring church this morning an enduring people that by your spirit you will enable us you will minister to us you will speak to us and cause your word to change and transform us from the inside out and so we welcome your presence this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And so we are going to be spending the bulk of our morning this uh, today in just a really short portion of scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, which says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the, rest, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if, if you've written an essay at some point in your school life, you know that your teacher will not have been amused if you started the first sentence of your essay with a word like, therefore. It's like, therefore what? Therefore is one of those words that, you know, speaks of this something that's happened before what I'm about to say that you need to pay attention to. And that thing that happened before helps you make sense of what I'm just about to say. And so when the author of Hebrews um, in, 12, in chapter 12, verse 1, starts this chapter with the words, therefore, we, we are obligated to go back to chapter 11 and see what, what are we thereforeing? What is this that he's talking about that we need to pay attention that will help us make sense of what he's just about to say in chapter 12? And so... He starts chapter 12 with therefore because he's just spent the entire of chapter 11 giving this bunch of Hebrew Christians a masterclass in all things living by faith. Now, it's interesting to note in chapter 11, as you go through that, you know, what is famously called the Hall of Faith, and where he's talking about all these people that have been um, commended because of working with God and their faith and the belief that they had in the promise that God has given, had given them. There are certain things that we realize and that we pick from chapter 11 that will be useful for us in understanding the call to endurance that he gives us in chapter 12. The stories of faith mentioned in chapter 11 paint this picture of a bunch of people who are walking with God and following him and the things that they were trusting and having faith for were actually not for personal gain, but rather they were a part of the big story of redemption that God was writing and that the things that they were trusting God for, in fact, the person that they were trusting God for was the Messiah that was going to be ushered in. And the interesting thing is that none of these people commended for their faith in this chapter actually saw the coming of this Messiah. Yet they had faith to keep trusting and to keep uh, walking in faith in the things that God had promised them. So it wasn't just a faith for personal comfort, for personal development, or even for personal gain. And I need us to sort of make that distinction today because it's easy when we talk about endurance um, and considering the times that we are living in today. Times are hard, right? The price of fuel, we've been told by March it's about to hit what? 260 like, how on earth are we, supposed, are we supposed to survive in an environment like that? The economy is hard. We are struggling. Life is happening and there's all those things. But I want us for a moment today to take off our focus from those things that are about us and comfort and, and life as we know it here and to focus that attention on the faith that comes with 
persevering when we are walking in the purposes and the will of God and pursuing the mission that he has set before us. Yes, fuel and all those things are part of this journey of life, but there comes a point in each and every one of our lives where we know that there's something that God has laid on our hearts. There's, there's something that he's asked us to do, either on a personal level, as families, or even as a church. There's a mission, a kingdom mission that we are called to. And we know very well that as part of that mission and the things that God calls us to, we know that there's difficulty. Because we war not, the, the war that we are raging is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities. And so it's impossible to be on God's mission, either as individuals, as families, as a church. It's impossible to be in God's mission and to not experience things that will uh, require endurance out of us. And so that's the realm that I want us to be thinking on, on mission with God and the difficulties and the challenges that come to us on that level. And so the kind of endurance that the writer of Hebrews is calling us to in chapter 11 is the kind of endurance that we need because the mission that God is calling us to is bigger than anything that we can handle on our own. And so we need to endure. And so when you look at this you know, list of guys that are listed in chapter 11, the other interesting thing you note about them, which sort of ties into what I've just said, is that they were walking in the will of God. And perhaps for many of us in the day that we live in, this idea of walking in God's will might be lost to us because being in God's will is not really something that is celebrated or even encouraged. In the day that we live in, we, we praise the people that have the smartest goals, right? The people who have excellent five-year plans and they know exactly where they want their life to be in the next month. They know exactly how much money they are going to make. They know exactly what kind of size of family we want, right? It's wisdom in the day that we live in to be able to plan out your life, right? And make sure that it looks, it looks like something you can manage, right? Because you need to be able to, be, to manage this life that God has given. You need to do... Your money needs to serve you well. You need to have just the right number of kids so that they can fit in that perfect house that you've thought about. There's a way that the world tells us that our, the way we, we put together our lives needs to be smart. But when you look at walking with God, and even if you look at the stories of the people um, that have been mentioned in chapter 11, you realize that the one thing that sets them apart from the day that we live in is that they were walking in the will of God and when we are in the will of God then this idea of smart goals actually flies out the window because the things that God calls us do not fit in that perfect box that we tend to paint or want to create for ourselves. Now I'm not saying that you go home and throw out your goals, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you're not going to get to heaven because you had smart goals, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that these men and women lived their lives in such a way that they had what I can call God's space in their lives. They allowed for God to be able to disrupt their lives and to ask of them things that did not fit perfectly into what they would have considered a smart plan for their own lives. And so this morning, when we think about the things that we are having to endure on mission with God, 
one of the questions that we need to be asking ourselves is this, as individuals and as a church, are we truly, really walking in the will of God? Do our lives look so well put together and so well calculated that actually the will of God sounds like it's actually the devil that is calling us to do things? And this is how I mean. Sometimes our lives can be so perfectly put together that when God speaks and calls and asks us to do something that is outside of our perfect plan, it actually begins to look like there's no way that can be God calling me. Because my plan, he knows my plan. My plan is perfect. I give you an example. We have, my husband and I have, have three kids. And at the point at which we, we had three children, our biological children, and last year uh, we fostered in a bunch, um, a good, happy bunch of uh, twin brother and sister, Tendai and Shamiso. And at that point, I promise you, it did sound like, Hey, are you sure, God? We have three kids. Perfect. We fit in a nice, in the five-seater car. Life is good. Everyone has their bedroom. We, we were perfectly okay, right? And one of the questions that we've been asked over and over again by people who find out that we added two more children to our family is, why? Why would you do that? You already have three children of your own. One question that I've been asked by uh, people um, when I'm away from Simba is, and your husband was okay with that? I'm like, there's no way I would have brought two children home if my husband didn't know about it, right? But it paints this idea of there is a perfect life that we want, but on this other side, there's the life, there's the life that God wants for us and calls us to, and a lot of times those two things will have to battle it out at some point. And so, are we walking in the will of God or has the voice of God gotten to a place where it seems strange, unreasonable, and even crazy because it doesn't fit in with the good plans that we have for our lives? And so when we look at this women, uh, this uh, bunch of people that are described in chapter 11, we must realize and pay attention to the fact that they were walking in the will of God. The other thing that we see is that there's an element of great personal sacrifice which works hand in hand with being in the will of God. There's Abraham sacrificing his only son, this son that he's waited for, for literally all of his life. And then one day God says, I want you to lay him on the altar and give him to me. And Abraham, I know it was difficult, but he willingly lays that son on that altar. And it looks as though God is actually going to let him go through with this. And in the last moment, God offers a, a different sacrifice and his son is spared. When you look at someone like Moses, he was living the life in the palace. And yet he refuses to be associated with royalty and instead chooses to be mistreated along with God's people. There's an element of great personal sacrifices that comes when we are walking in the will of God. And that cannot happen outside being obedient to God, which is the other thing that we see as a common factor amongst the people mentioned in this hall of faith. Their obedience to God and a desire to please him had them saying yes to God when oftentimes the things he was asking them to do sounded unreasonable, unrealistic, and just downright crazy. 
And so this is the example that is set before us when we come to this scripture that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, this is a bunch of people that are set before us today as a testimony of faith, the kind of faith that we need to have if we are going to be the people and the church that endures. And that's our first point, that we can endure because there's a testimony of faith that has been laid before us that we can look to as an example of what it looks like to live sacrificially, to live and walk in the will of God, to live obediently, even for men and women who actually did not see the fulfillment on the, of the promise that they had faith for. And so, as I said, God's assignments for us are too God-sized for any of us to be doing or even trying to do these things on our own. And so we need to remember, we need to remember those have, that have gone before us, as we have seen in that chapter before, those that endured much for the sake of the gospel and the big story that God had been writing since the beginning of time. And so we can endure because as we play our part today in this story that God continues to write, leading us to being with him one day in eternity, we have a history that we can look back to and see God's faithfulness because of men and women who choose to walk obediently before God, sacrificially before him. And even though they did not see the promise, they believed that he who called them was worthy of every sacrifice that they had been asked to give. And so therefore this morning, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses that is a testimony of the faithfulness of God. Their faith was imperfect. They, they didn't have perfect faith. Sarah laughed when the angel appeared and said, you're going to have a son. What did Abraham do? Uh, between him and his wife, they put together this deal where they had a son with the maidservant. Their faith wasn't perfect. They weren't perfect people. They don't appear on this list because they followed God perfectly and got it right 100% of the time. Not at all. They were simply imperfect people who choose through their imperfections to put their faith and trust in God. And they dared believe in the promises of God. And so if you're looking at that list, that hall of fame, and seeing the names of these mighty men and women who did amazing things and thinking, there's no way I can measure up to any of those guys. You're in absolutely great company today because your imperfect self is exactly the kind of person that God desires. Our imperfect church is, the, is exactly the kind of people that God desires this morning. And all he's asking of us this morning is that we have faith that he will do and accomplish that what he said he would do if we only obey, walk in his will, and lay down our lives so that his name might be lifted. The second thing that we see now as we come into chapter 12, we've seen the history, we've seen this testimony of faith. Armed with our faith, um, as we move now into chapter 12 and that verse 1, and we are called to... Um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is now what, this is the meat of the matter. What then are we supposed to do? And this is what we are being called to. We are called to lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And why are we doing that? Because we are running with endurance the race that is set before us. And so our faith is part of this race that we have been called to. 
and that's the second thing that we are going to talk about this morning, is that like runners on a marathon, we have been called to a race. There is a race. And this race, as we see in this verse, is actually a race that has been set before each and every one of us that has come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this race, if we use that same language of the, the race is set before us, it actually speaks of there's a race that has been assigned to every one of us. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, being in this race is not optional. The choice to run or not is actually not optional. In this race of faith, then, every believer, anyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ is actually a Kipchoge Keino is actually a faith kipiegon because being in this race of faith is something that is assigned to us when we come into faith in Jesus Christ. And the way to come or be a part of this race, as I've just said, is putting our faith and hope and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us when he died on the cross and rose up on the third day. And so we are automatically part of that race. And so in order for us to run this race and run it faithfully, we are called to lay aside every weight and sin. Weight and sin. Because these things have the power to pull us down, to drag us and slow us down, and for some even to completely throw us out of the race because then we forget to continue to put our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, there's a reminder to us, One Tribe, as individuals, as a congregation, that we are in a race. This race has been set before us, and there's no way to run this race and run it well without endurance. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 27 gives us a bit of a hint as what it looks like to be running in this race. And Paul says, as he's writing to the church of Corinth, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so that you may obtain, so, you, so run that you may obtain this prize? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, so I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. And so we see that in running this race, first of all, there's actually a prize. It's not just an aimless race. It's not just aimless running helter-skelter. There's a prize, and the prize is Jesus himself and the joy of one day being seated with him in heavenly places. And so we are called to exercise self-control, as uh, Paul writes in this scripture, in all things. Because we need to lay aside, remember, the weight and the sin. And as we exercise self-control, it helps us and puts us in that place where we are lean and fit and ready and set for the race that is before us. And so we don't run aimlessly. We discipline ourselves. We are a people of discipline in the way we speak, in the way we live, in the way we conduct our lives. We live lives that are disciplined and under control because we want to make sure that the, at the end of this race, we accomplish everything that God had asked, has asked us to do and that at the end of it, we can actually hear his well done, good and faithful servant. And so... We run, we press on on this journey because there's a prize that we have been called to and so we need to endure because it, like in any race, if you've watched any marathon race, it's not easy. It's a long run. There's lots of hours of training that have been put into it. It takes a toll on the body. 
we must endure. And so I ask you this morning, how are you doing in running this race? How are we doing as a church in how we are running this race? Have we gotten tired and weary when the race gets hard and we want to give up? We want to quit. We want to walk away on God and, his, and the church all together and say, you know what? It's not even worth it. How are you doing on this race? I put it to you this morning. If you're tired and weary, come to Jesus and find rest. Don't quit. Are you tired of the running? Have you carried excess weight? Are you anxious about things? Are you worried and concerned in your personal life, even with this move to two services? Are you carrying anxiety about all the things that could go wrong and just all the things that could change and how it will mess up this perfect community that we have created? Are you weary? Are you tired? Find rest in Jesus this morning and let him be the one that renews your strength because this race is a long race. It's a marathon and we need to endure. We need to, we need to be ready to run the course. And so my friends, I put to you this morning, this race actually does not get easier when we quit and give up. It only gets easier when we stay the course and keep the eye on the prize. And the getting easier is not necessarily that things, you know, lessen, the weight of things lessens. No, it gets easier because the prize becomes something that is of more worth than the things that we are having to deal with and the fatigue and, and the anxieties and all those things. And we are going to talk about what that prize looks like. But the race does not get easier when we quit and give up. It stays easier or it gets better when we stay the cause and keep our eyes on the prize. And so I ask us once again, how are we doing on this race that God has assigned to each and every one of us? The other part of this scripture that we, we are going to look at is um, the other example that is set before us um, so this, this portion of scripture, when he says, therefore, he starts by pointing us back to the people of old, right? Those men and women who showed exemplar, exemplary faith. And then he tells us about this race that we are supposed to run, this race that we are a part of. And then he finishes this portion of scripture by giving us an even better example that we are called to look at. A better example that we are, we are supposed to you know, set our focus, set our eyes on um, if we are going to run and endure this race. And this is what this portion says. And so let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. There is one whose faith is perfect, one who did all those things well. He submitted to the will of his father. He lived his life sacrificially. In fact, he didn't just sacrifice one small thing here and there. He literally laid down his very life so that he could accomplish the thing that God has called, had called him to. And so, and so therefore this morning we have the good and perfect example of Jesus Christ in what it looks like to endure and run this race faithfully. So this morning the call for us as a church is this. The race that God has set before us 
is hard, it's difficult, and it will call us to things that are way beyond our capacity to do on our own strength in our personal lives and in our life as a church. They're going into two services from all the conversations we've had and the hurdles that are set before us, the resources that are required and all those things, we cannot do it by ourselves. The call of God that he's given us individually in our areas of ministry, in things that he's called us as families to do, uh, whether it's in the area of our children, in fostering, in adopting, in serving the least of this in this city, two big things for us to be able to do on our own. And therefore, we must be a people and a church that looks squarely to Jesus because he's the only one worth looking at in this journey of faith. This race is actually his race. He is the prize, the treasure that we seek. He is the promised one, the one that those men of faith of old were looking to. We have the privilege of actually being able to look back on the promise and to see the fulfillment of it in Jesus Christ. And so he's actually the bigger and better hall of faith or hall of famer in this case because his faith was perfect. And what did this Jesus do? He endured the cross, despising the shame of it. And the thing about Jesus and his endurance is actually that his endurance didn't just start at the cross when he lay there nailed on that cross carrying the weight of the sins of the world from, you know, the beginning all the way until his return. His endurance actually started uh, when the will of the father was laid out that, yes, I'm going to send my son to go and live and die so that he would one day um, rise again and redeem to God a people for himself. He endured being born as a baby. God, he was God in the fullness of who he was, but had to endure being born as a baby and living through life as a human being, yet being fully God, having the limitations of being a human being and yet being fully God. He had power. He would have you know, called on the powers of heaven and earth and just said, you know what, this baby stuff, this having to walk the earth as a person, why do I have to do this? It's too much. Can I just go and be God and just do this thing that I know I already need to do? But he humbled himself to the Father's will and endured everything that came with him, being born as a baby in a manger, not in the best of circumstances. He endured being um, tempted by the evil one um, and just living and walking this journey that he knew ultimately was leading to this thing, this death on the cross that was going to take everything that he had. He was God, but he endured and humbled himself so that he could uh, die on that cross and rise again so that we could be here today. And so we can look to Jesus. We can look to him and see the faith that he had in his father the great faith that he had that his father would not forsake him. Even though for a moment it looked like the father had forsaken him and turned his face away from him. We can endure because Jesus had perfect faith in his father. And so can we because God will ultimately do and accomplish that what he promises to do. And so even when Jesus in that moment of um, just being completely overwhelmed by what was coming before him, says to God, if it pleases you, please take this cup away from me. And then he says, 
not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Because ultimately, his life was lived in total submission to the will of the Father. And so how? How did Jesus endure this? Yes, he had total faith in God. Yes, he knew that the Father would not forsake him. He knew that the Father would accomplish what he said he would do and rise him up on the third day. And yet, even with all of that knowledge, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy of knowing that one day there was going to be a people in one tribe who believed in his name, who said yes to what he did on that cross. The joy for others in generations to come who will say yes to this message of the gospel. The joy of those who would come as we move into two services and make space for people to come. The joy of those who would come to know this father and live a life that is transformed and completely changed for all eternity. For that joy, he endured the cross. You can put your name there. For the joy of seeing Mudeo, of seeing Simba, of seeing each and every one of us, put your name in there. For the joy of seeing you come to the Father, Jesus endured the cross. And even far beyond that, for the joy of one day being seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is the thing. There is a seat right there next to Jesus for each and every one of us who comes to faith with, uh, in Jesus Christ. For that joy of being seated there with us, his fellow brothers and sisters, co-heirs along with Jesus Christ, being seated right there next to him in the throne of God. On the throne of God, on the right hand of the throne of God, Jesus endured the cross. And so I ask us this morning, what are the joys that we've set before us? What is it that is before us that we are looking to? That when, when this call to endure comes, what is this that we can look to in our lives as individuals, in our life as a church? What is it that we can look to and say, for the joy of that thing set before us, we can endure this? Or have we been tossed and turned around by the difficulties of life to the point where there's, there's really no joy that, that we can see. When we cast our eyes out there, all the things that we see is the difficulty, the struggle, everything that could go wrong, the anxiety, the pain, the difficulty of the world that we live in. What is it that we have set before us this morning? Where is the What's the prize that we have set our eyes on this morning? And so I call us this morning to remember that there's a joy that's been set before us. One of my super favorite authors says this about this endurance and looking forward to something that is greater than us. He says this, your hope is not to be found in your willingness and ability to endure, but in God's unshakable, enduring commitment to never turn his uh, to never turn from his work of grace. Your hope is that you have been welcomed into communion with the one who will endure no matter what. Why is this then so important to understand? Because your endurance, yours and mine, will be spotty at best. There will be times when we will get discouraged and for a while we'll even quit from doing the good things that God has called us to do. There will be moments, big and small, when we will willingly even rebel. But perfect endurance demands just that, perfection. 
And since none of us is there yet, we must look outside of ourselves for hope. Your hope of enduring is not to be found in the character of your strength, but in your Lord's. And so friends, my call to us to endure this morning is not because you have just the perfect personality trait that can weather hard storms. I happen to be one of those people who I have a high threshold of pain. I, can, I have capacity for many things. I can do many things. And it's easy if you're someone like me to think, you know what, I got this enduring thing. Because after all, my personality fits very well with, you know, this kind of handling things and being able to, you know, go through hardships and endure. And you might look upon others who have a different personality and say, what kind of Christianity are you doing over here? Come on, man up. You know, get, get on the journey and just carry along. Life is hard for all of us, right? But we are reminded this morning that our ability to endure has nothing to do with anything that we can do on our own strength. But it has everything to do with Jesus, the perfect one, who shows us what it is to endure. Because he's the one that remains faithful even when we waver and are faithless. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, echoes this call to look to Jesus when he says this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, praise the Lord that he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so one tribe this morning, my call to, you, uh, to us is this. There is a race that has been set before us. There's something that God has assigned for each and every one of us in our journey of faith. There's a race that has been set before us collectively as a congregation and as a, as a people on mission for the thing that God has laid aside specifically for us as a congregation. And that race is going to require endurance of us because we are going to hit things, there's obstacles that are coming, there's challenges that are coming, there's going to be relational challenges and challenges on all manner of things that are going to be before us. As Paul is saying in this scripture, I have suffered greatly for the sake of this gospel. And we've, as we've gone through the book of Acts in months past, we've seen this this man who had a passion for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and he didn't do it because it was easy. He was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned. All manner of things happened, and guess what? He kept going, not because he was Superman, not because he had any supernatural strength or anything like that, but it because he knew and had believed and had put faith in this Jesus, and he knew that the mission that God has called him to was worthy of anything that he had to go through for that name of Jesus to be lifted in all the places that it hadn't yet reached. And so, guys, the journey ahead of us 
I, I'm not guaranteeing anybody this morning that it's going to be easy. As we move to two services, there's, there are no promises or guarantees that it's going to be smooth sailing and we'll just be coming in the mornings and saying kumbaya. If it was, we wouldn't have spent the last few weeks making a call out for more volunteers and you know, asking that everyone come and you know, let's get in and do the work that needs to be done. The reason we are doing that is because we realize that the war that we are in and the thing that God is calling us to is bigger than any of us, and that's why we need all hands on deck. But far beyond any of that is that as a church, as individuals, we need to squarely fix our gaze on Jesus Christ and be confident of the mission that is laid before us so that we can faithfully, sacrificially, obediently, and walking in God's will, endure everything that's coming away. And so I ask us again this morning, how are you doing on this race that God has assigned for you? As a church, how are we doing on this race that God has assigned to us? Where is your gaze this morning? And I don't mean, I know it's Sunday, you came ready to see Jesus, to worship him. But where is your gaze when you leave Sunday today, when you leave service this morning, when Monday hits tomorrow and you're faced with the realities of what your life is about? Where is your gaze? If you were to zoom out and look and take an overview look at your life, what would it reveal as the object of your gaze? If you were to zoom out as a church and look at who we are and what we are about, what would it say is the object of our gaze as a congregation? The only one who is worthy of our gaze, the only one who has the power to keep and sustain us until the day of his return is Jesus Christ. And so let's fix our gaze squarely on him. Let's rise to our feet. And so Lord, this is my prayer for us this morning as we consider what it is that you're calling us to, as you consider how you're calling us to endure, as, as we lay our eyes on the race that you have set us, Lord, and squarely fix our gaze on you, this is our prayer, Lord. For the difficult situations in our lives, Lord, that cause us worry, fear, and anxiety, Lord, please help us endure. For these tough economic times that we live in, where we don't know what tomorrow holds, Lord, for our prayers that we are yet to see answers to, Lord, please help us endure. For the promises that we are yet to see fulfilled, Lord, help us endure. For the situations that have us discouraged and on the verge of giving up, Lord, help us endure. For every wrong that is yet to be made right, Lord, every injustice that is yet to be unresolved, Lord, help us endure. For every cost of following you that is oftentimes so much higher than we, can, we think we can pay, Lord, help us endure. For the joy that is set before us, Lord, help us endure. The joy of those who, all those who would come to know you as Lord and Savior and for the lives transformed, addition, addictions broken, lives set free as we make room as a congregation for more people to come into your house, Lord. Help us endure. 
for the joy of many who will find hope, healing, and restoration, and joy, peace, love, authentic community, and a place to belong, Lord, as they come into your house, as we make room, Lord, help us endure. For the joy of all that your spirit wants to do among us, Lord, help us endure. For the joy of these, your sons and daughters, who will be stretched to growth and maturity as they serve in this new season, where we need all hands on deck, Lord, help us endure. For marriages yet to be restored, prodigals yet to return home, families, relationships yet to be healed, identities yet to be sealed in you. For all the dark places in our lives and in this city of Nairobi, where your glorious light is yet to shine, Lord, help us endure. For the joy of seeing your kingdom come here in Nairobi, Lord, as it is in heaven, help us endure. For the joy of hearing your well done, good and faithful servant and the great privilege of sitting with you as fellow brothers and co-heirs with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Lord, help us endure. And so, Lord, this morning, we say a resounding yes to everything that you're doing in our lives and in this church. And may this be our heart's posture and um, that, Lord, not to us, not to us, O oh Lord, but to your name be all the glory, the honor, because of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Amen.